0: hello everyone how you doing hope all is well welcome to another shot of philosophy today we're switching books we're going to move from seneca into a book that i'm really excited about i just started it it's called great thinkers and it's by the school of life so i've started to read this and the first is about plato so basically there are let me see actually how many there's really a couple dozen thinkers here from philosophy, political theory, Eastern philosophy, sociology, psychotherapy, art and architecture, and literature. So I got this book just because it really interested me. I love the school of life, and I thought this would be a good way to learn about other, other thinkers aside from philosophers while learning even more about some philosophers. So as I said, I started the book, and already it's great. So the first entry is about Plato. And on the first page of this, I wanted to talk a little bit about an idea that I've encountered before that I think we've even discussed on the podcast before that is an idea I've recently started to work into my teaching the past couple years, and I think it's an important one. So the idea I'm referring to is eudaimonia. That's E-U-D-A-I-M-O-N-I-A. So this is a Greek word, and it's a Greek idea, right? And for the school of life, Plato devoted his life to one goal which was helping people to reach a state of what he termed eudaimonia. And the book goes on to say that this peculiar but fascinating Greek word is a little hard to translate. It almost means happiness, but is really closer to fulfillment, because happiness suggests continuous chirpiness, whereas fulfillment is more compatible with periods of great pain and suffering, which seem to be an unavoidable part of even a good life. How did Plato propose to make people more fulfilled? And that's sort of what the rest of the chapter goes on to answer. So we'll do a couple episodes with this. Because I really like this chapter. But just this idea of eudaimonia, I think is a powerful thing. Let's say a powerful shot of philosophy, a quick idea that we could consider. Because for me, when I first encountered this, and there's a great School of Life video on this idea on YouTube, if you want to go look at it. Um, when I first encountered this, it made me rethink how I relate to happiness. And it made me rethink the demands I make on myself and the demands I make of the world, right? I think we're a little bit at times in our modern culture, and this might be just my opinion, but I think we're a little bit obsessed with happiness. And then when happiness isn't there, we get upset. And then we get angry that we're not happy, or we get, again, sad or upset that we're not happy. And I think eudaimonia, as the School of Life is saying here, and as Plato believes, among other philosophers... Um, kind of, you know, is an important, let's say, a little bit of a shift from happiness. I think happiness is important, but I don't think happiness should be our first priority. This idea of fulfillment, I think, is really important because it asks us to engage with all of life. And there are whole schools of philosophy and philosophers that, you know, believe that life is suffering. And at the very least, I think we could all agree that life involves suffering at times. And I think if we strive for eudaimonia and fulfillment, we learn how to actually engage with our suffering in a way that is meaningful versus avoiding it or dismissing it too quickly. And I think it also helps us make peace with the fact of life that it involves suffering. So for me, again, when I first encountered eudaimonia in a more meaningful way a couple years ago, I immediately knew I had to include it in my teaching. It became a topic that We've discussed using the School of Life. This book is new for me, as I said, but I wish I would have found this two years ago because this is, once again, changing what we strive for. It's changing our goal. It's changing the way we accept pain and suffering versus, again, avoiding it and dismissing it. And I think all that can be really useful and powerful because to think we could have a life without suffering, or let's even say, you know, not to get maybe a little bit uh, pessimistic, but to say that we could even... Have a day or a week where nothing goes in quotes wrong or where we don't have a negative thought or where we're not sort of, you know, forced to confront something that's at least relatively negative or unpleasant is also naive. And if we're constantly striving for happiness and we constantly think we should be happy, we're setting ourselves up to fail and we're setting, setting ourselves up to lead an unrealistic life where our expectations don't really connect or map to reality. So eudaimony not only helps us, I think, accept you know things when they happen more, because we see them as a part of what it means to be a human, right? I think they also, or this idea also helps us set healthier expectations, more realistic expectations. And those are really important. I was also watching a video yesterday by this guy, Dr. Huberman, or Huberman, H-U-B-E-R-M-A-N. I think is how you spell his name. I'm spelling a lot today for some reason. Um, and he was talking about like how our society needs to have a healthier relationship to basically like to pleasure like to dopamine to an extent right He's coming from a real kind of neuroscientific you know brain science approach. It's very cool his approach. I'm learning more about him recently and I'm enjoying his work so far. And it's like basically we have you know or let's say many of us are likely to have a lot of accessibility to something like highly palatable, very tasty foods. This is one example, right? That tastes good, but they're not really good for us. And we have all this acts now, you know, with the internet too, to these seemingly pleasurable experiences, these experiences that will release dopamine in our minds. And he was saying, you know, as is, I think, a point that Plato would would agree with, right? It's, we have to make sure that we have a healthy relationship to these pleasures and we can't just be accessing them constantly. We have to work in that discipline, To, you know, let's say to stall the pleasure by implementing some hard work, some focus, some difficult tasks. So that's a eudaimonia approach. Right? That's an approach that we, again, we see that suffering, pain, struggle, right? These are not only negative things. They lead to something else. And even within themselves, there's something potentially beautiful if we confront them, right? Because, for example, grief is seemingly a bad thing, but grief really comes from love, right? But if you're just like, I don't want to grieve, I don't want to deal with it, you might not only not allow yourself self to process that important emotion, but you also might be missing the you know more profound conversation about the grief, which is all of the reasons why you're grieving, right? Those are, those are the gifts that the person gave you, right? You miss them because there was something good there that we could also acknowledge that could give us inspiration and give us a sense of gratitude instead of only a sense of pain, right? So in a, in a world where we might be able to access and avoid more easily, we're missing out on eudaimonia. So maybe this idea is helpful, right? How can you strive for fulfillment and make room for some of life's pains by seeing that they're a part of what it means to be human? They're unavoidable. Right so to reach eudaimonia again we're going to talk a little bit the next couple episodes about the four ways that the school of life suggests Plato worked with his students and his writings to cultivate this sense and to pursue eudaimonia but think about this for yourself first tonight maybe right what's fulfilling to you when are you happy how does maybe you know i think we could say perhaps right how does wanting to be happy get in the way of your happiness sometimes Because I've learned this too recently, right? Sometimes if I'm in a bad mood and I start getting frustrated or I start trying to make myself get in a good mood, it makes it worse. It's okay to be in a bad mood. It's okay to be like, let's say perhaps like for me, like if I'm in a good mood, I'm talkative, I'm smiling, I'm telling jokes. And then when I'm not in a great mood, I'm just quieter. So in my head, I'm like, well, I can make myself feel bad about being quiet or I could see that this is just a part of today's experiences. And then usually I feel a little bit better. I end up making a couple jokes. I end up being a little more talkative. But it's those times when I'm really like, why why am I not happy? Why am I not in the mood to go out or whatever? Those are the times where I start, again, demanding the wrong things. Instead of making peace with a more eudaimonic approach to life. Like, look, today's low energy, today's bad mood, whatever, is a part of life. Make peace with it. Embrace it a little bit. Question it, of course. I got Maybe try to figure out what the cause is. But sometimes, you know, doing that for too long isn't a good idea. So with the eudaimonic approach, it's like, you know what? This is a part of life. It's natural. I don't need to be happy right now. I can be with these emotions, and it's okay. I don't have to force happiness or joy. So maybe this is helpful. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you soon.